I don't have any PowerPoint for you to look at. So unfortunately, you have to pay attention to old-fashioned speech that I give. Uh, to begin with, single-party dominant states are not abnormal in Asia. They're all over the place. Right? There is Japan, in Japan as single state, there's India. Uh, in both instances, they lost uh, the Congress and the LDP lost the opposition once, as far as I can remember, and then win it all back fairly quickly. The parties themselves are not as stable internally as the PAP, but it is still a single party dominant state. Then there is, of course, Korea, Taiwan, and to a certain extent, Indonesia during Suharto days. They are not really single party dominant. They are actually military backed authoritarian governments that could invent a party for itself in a certain sense. I mean, the TNC uh, was never really an elected government. Uh, neither was in Korea uh, immediately after the Cold War, all the governments have been sort of using military force to sustain itself. So in those two cases, and in the case of Indonesia, right, when the change came, it truly was democratizing because there was no democratic institution or structure in place until the direct elections. Whereas Singapore and Malaysia, it's a strange category. And I've always insisted Otherwise, I couldn't do the kind of work I do. I've always insisted Singapore is a democratic society. Singapore has always had the election procedures in place. The election procedures has never been tampered with. The rules change, but the rules are changed always within the, you could say that it pressed the limits of democratic institutions but it's always changed within the rules because very simply, the PAP government cannot afford to lose the legitimacy of election as a process of, ele of selecting itself. In the process, of course, it has keep changing the rules to its advantage, but gerrymandering happens everywhere. Right? Pork barrel politics is part of the normal politics of democratic society. So in an interesting way, I would say that uh, we are kind of a democratic polity with an authoritarian atmosphere. And it certainly is authoritarian in its administrative means, but the PAP has never actually seriously broken any democratic limits, with the exception possibly of the ISA. Okay, the, the ISA it should have been restricted to an emergency legislation rather than part of the normal arsenal of government. And if it had been re restricted to just emergency regulation, it would also therefore be normalized. So to that extent, right, um, I wouldn't say that we are going into a new normal. I say we're finally normalizing the atmosphere 
And in this, um, in this normal, and part of the problem, of course, that if we, we've come to think of Singapore as a non-democratic polity, is precisely because of the one-party dominant state of situation. And unfortunately, I mean, clearly, as Prime Minister Lee recently uh, recognized, that the one-party dominant state, the dominance of the PAP in Singapore, is a historical contingent phenomena that was progressively morphed into the only possible reality in the hands of the PAP itself. It had come into, it had in fact became the single, the, you know, the hegemonic political party after 1968, after the Barisan Socialists refused to contest the election. In, in ironically, even at the peak of its repression in, 19, in the early 1960s, when after uh, Operation Coastal, the Barisan still won 35% of the, of the votes. It could have been the credible opposition. But once it decided not to do that, it became increasingly difficult after that for other parties to build up credibility. And part of it is because credibility of a candidate is also progressively defined by the PAP and taken in by the Singaporeans. What does credibility mean? You have to have advanced university education. You have to be economically, financially extremely successful. Uh, and you have to be, hopefully, non-corrupt. That's, no, that's not a guarantee as the history of the PAP itself shows. Now the problem, of course, is that this definition of credibility that is now continuously repeated, what is a credible opposition party? It's really tricky. Right. I think someone who is poor is a better representative of the poor in parliament than someone with a PhD who can only talk in statistics of poor. So what does represent, I mean, we need to rethink all these categories. You know, what does credibility mean? Who is a better representative of the poor? Certainly not the ministers at this point. None of them know what poverty is. And as we go, as we go forward, it gets worse and worse. Because for those of us who are 60 years and above, at least if we were not poor, at least we knew we had poor friends. Increasingly, if you're not poor, you don't even have poor friends. So if you go down the line of this question of credibility, you're just going to perpetuate a kind of criteria that is mythologized precisely to keep the PAP as the only real possibility for Singapore. Right? So I think if we want to compare, I think the comparison between Singapore, Korea, and Taiwan is extremely tricky because it's, it's completely different historical state formation between Korea, Taiwan, and Singapore. In Korea and Taiwan, in both instances, the opposition, I mean, opposition had the opportunity to coalesce into a united front against the military-backed party because um, 
because there was no other outlet. Whereas in Singapore, those people, everyone who wants to be a politician could join a political party. They might not succeed, but they, are, they have freely joined political parties, and we have. If you look at uh, the Singapore handbook, a whole long list of political parties, not just the ones that contested, including the ones that are now don't even file their annual reports to the Register of Association. So the, the opportunity of opposition forces to coalesce into a singular force, as in Korea and as in Taiwan, simply did not exist in Singapore. So I mean, you know, so I think the, the comparison is, is to be done, to be done very carefully, but at this point it's probably not very fruitful to do those kind of comparisons. So I would say that Singapore as a you know, we need to begin to rethink in order to normalize the polity, in order to not normalize the, the uh, democratic conditions that we have inherited and have, in, for historical reasons, been sidetracked for the last 50 years. And it's not really 50 years, probably since 1970 to about now. To probably not even now, I mean, if you say, if you consider the loss ensign as the normal practice, normal outcome of, con of contest, it's a period of about 20 years. But the dominance is very important. The dominance is undoubtable, largely because of the economic record of the PAP government. No one would ever doubt that it has done a great job economically, right? And it, to some extent, just like the, just like the you know, British colonies produce its own seeds of destruction, the PAP's success, economic success, is reaping its own criticism. It's not surprising that it's always the, that is the better educated, higher income group that are now the most liberal, the most believers of pluralism, the believers of alternatives, right? And if you look at the question earlier asked about foreigners, about uh, immigration, ironically, again, it is the higher income that is more concerned than the lower income because so actually foreign talent is a more serious issue than foreign workers right? because middle class parents and middle class youth are beginning to fear that their future is being blocked by being by the fact that companies can just fly in somebody to fill up a post rather than spend two years training Singaporeans to fit into the post. So their future is being truncated by the policy. So I think, you know, I would not say that the, I would not say that, you know, we are dealing with a new normal. I would say that we are normalizing uh, into what was always there uh, and has been for a short period of time in a long durée of history, uh, sidetracked. Will this be the beginning of something? It's hard to say, you know, you, uh, wait and see. I think there are three possibilities. One is the PAP could win it all back if it could radically modify itself, although I doubt it. Just look at newspaper today already, Ministry State is warning about labor shortage. What does that mean? Yeah, if we have labor shortage, if we are willing to live with lower growth, labor shortage is not really all that much of a problem, right? Are we actually addicted to high growth all the time at all costs? 
There's some rethink, but I don't know whether how good the rethink is. We could stagnate into the present level for a while. I mean, we keep losing one party, uh, one DRC. One DRC really doesn't change the political scene all that much, right? There is actually a change in mentality. I think the political consciousness of Singaporeans has changed, and fairly radically. Uh, and I've been saying this quite a while in some of my recent writings, that the liberalization of culture in Singapore is inevitable. Liberalization comes with education, unless we're willing to keep our population un under or uneducated it will become always more and more liberal in thinking. Whether the political structure allows that liberal liberalization of culture and mind to express itself, that's the question. So far, it hasn't been. Going to forward, it probably will because the Singapore, the Singapore electorate would just become more assertive rather than otherwise. So I think that the future question is that the liberalizing of Singapore is not something that is avoidable because the only competitive edge we have in the global economy is education. Right. So coming from NUS, it's a very privileged position because this government has never seriously cut back on educational investment. In fact, if you look around, it's expanding the education investment all the time as every part of the global, of the developed world is shrinking its financial expenditure. So to the extent that that's the case, uh, I would say that we will move toward more and more normal democratic political culture. Um, whether we will therefore, even as we move towards that, whether in the end the PAP will continue to be the dominant party is probably fairly very likely for at least the next 20 years. Right. We might become more like India, more like the Indian Congress that is in politics, that is in power, but the political culture itself is much more democratic. And I, I would kind of think that that will happen. And I think one of the factors that, that will happen, one of the really important factors that will contribute to that is precisely the retirement of Lee Kuan Yew. I think the, a lot of the authoritarian atmosphere is the result of the one man's mentality. And I think his retirement is a huge, psychoanalytically, symbolically, a huge relief to the collective political consciousness of Singaporeans. Because now I can go overseas and talk about Singapore politics without always having to answer the question, when is Lee Kuan Yew going to retire? <laughs> now I can go after this, particularly after this election, I don't have to continuously try to convince my foreign audience that election in Singapore is very clean and that the PAP has been in power for the last 40 years, not by authoritarianism itself, and not by, you know, uh, but by the fact that it has, in fact, done very well economically. Although, in the last 10 years or so, 
the, the inequality of the distribution of the national uh, uh, growth has become a serious issue. Right? The inequality will now become the political issue. In the past, the economic question has always been a technical question of how to solve growth questions. It is no longer just a technical question. It is now a technical question with a very serious political uh, consequence. And as uh, the question of income inequality will be become more and more uh, important. Now, finally, uh, do I take this current? I love this current. I love the result of this past election. I think it's a great election. But do I think it will change the system? I think we are so starved for change that we make every little change possible, every little change that happens in Singapore to be the beginning of the next big thing. But we shouldn't be so optimistic. Uh, it's a long way to go to be uh, fully normal democratic. And even if when we get there, in terms of democratic spirit culture that befits the institutional arrangement, it may still be the PAP that is the dominant party. And I would have no problem with that. I think many people will be surprised to hear me saying I have no problem with that. But I don't have any problem with that. <laughs> and I don't have any problem with state capitalism either. I don't, and I am not a neoliberal, I don't believe in free market. I believe that the state capitalist investment in Singapore has, in fact, uh, probably a new model for emerging capitalist society. Thank you very much.